Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This one is for all my construction friends out there. I've been in construction myself over the years as a laborer and a waterproofing contractor. And we're going to get some good insights today because this gentleman that's joining us spent most of his younger years digging ditches and trenches working in construction. Now, although he never went to college, uh, he instead made goals he planned and he worked extremely hard for 30 years. And as a result, he's now a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. He specializes now in mentoring and coaching hundreds of young people or has coached hundreds of young people in the areas such as short to mid to long-term goal setting, which we're going to get into, life visualization, which I love, career paths and sound financial planning. He's passionate about helping people achieve their dreams regardless of their educational background or past. He's also written a book called Blue Collar Cash where he shares his insights from the past 30 years of working in blue collar trades and now as an entrepreneur mentor and a life coach. Ken Rusk, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, you're welcome. This is going to be so relatable to anyone working in construction or the building industry, as uh, we call it here. And I just want to know your story, just your background. How did you get involved in the building construction industry? You never seek tertiary education or any sort of formal education? Did you finish school? And if not, when did you actually step into construction? So when I was uh, about 15 years of age in high school, you know, our our high school property had a a fence that connected or divided us with the the industrial park next door. And um, we would go through a hole in that fence, cut through the industrial park on our way to the carryout after school just to hang out and, and do what kids did. So I, I remember when I would walk through that industrial park after school, I, I could there was just a lot of energy milling about a, a lot of a lot of a lot of people, a lot of um, moving parts, you know, dump trucks and backhoes and all that kind of stuff, construction type things. And I always enjoyed that. So you know, I needed money like anybody else. I wanted to take my girlfriend out for pizza or I wanted to go bowling with my buddies. So really, yeah. I said, I'm going to, I knew somebody that worked there and I said, Hey, what do you guys do? And they said, well, we basically fix, we waterproof basements. We fix old rotten basements and we dig a lot of ditches. And I said, well, I can do that. So I, I literally did that in the summer times when I wasn't in high school. And um, in the winter times after school, I would go through that same hole in the fence and work in the office you know, to try to do some things to learn what I could there. So that went on for probably three or four years. And then it came to the point where I either had to decide to go to college after high school or get into the business world. And at that point, I I knew quite a bit about the company. So they came to me and they said, would you like to help us open franchises all over the, the Midwest of the United States? And I said, sure, I'll do that. So I figured that was a pretty good um, teachable moment, right? Where I could learn um, how to open a business from scratch mm. using other people's money. So it was it was a good thing for me to do that. So I did that for three or four years and I got tired of living out of a suitcase. And then I opened my own company in 86 
started with six people and um, now we have nearly 200. So it's been one heck of a ride. When you started, what were you doing? How was the business set up? Because it's obviously evolved to Rusk Industries today. Was it, did it begin as Rusk Industries or was it just something else? Was it specific to one area of construction that you were specializing initially? Yeah, well, originally we had Rusk Industries set up so that it could encompass anything. And, and you know, one of the, the, the basement waterproofing company was one of the businesses within Rusk Industries. And, you know, now I do other things. I mean, I, I build houses in, in Missouri on, on, on a resort lake and um, I, we do office buildings and, and, um, and rental properties and that kind of thing and construction chemicals. So if it's, you know, if it's anything to do with a shovel, we're, we're pretty much involved in it at this point. Okay. And so when we had a chat offline a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned to me about the importance of people actually thinking about what it is that they want to do with their life. And obviously you went through this process as well, but you, you use this beautiful analogy that if people were to invest as much time and effort into planning their life as they do their holidays, then they probably have better outcomes. So just touch on your experience and why do you think people don't actually put the time in? Do you think that they're listening to too many other people around them? I know I found that that was the case with me. I wasn't actually focusing on my own values as a person and what my skills were, what it was that I genuinely was curious and interested in, but obviously found that over time. But I, I see a pattern as well where people don't invest that time to actually figure that out. So I just want to hear your take on it because obviously you've got quite a few employees now and I'm sure you would have seen a lot of people come and go in your time as well. Yeah, you know, I, I've had the good fortune of having to hire over 2,000 people in my career, okay? And um, it, to me, it, it all started out for me is, you know, th there's two words that you can walk around and use in your daily life. You can use the word someday or you can use the word today. Most people will say, you know, someday I'm going to go do this. Someday I'm going to go plan that. Someday I'm going to learn this. Someday I'm going to build that. Well, in my mind, someday never comes. I mean, it's that's why they call it someday because mm. you don't even know when that is. So if you just change that word to today, I'm going to plan to do this. And today I'm going to start building that. And today I'm going to learn this. It changes your whole perspective as to how you, how you do these things and how you accomplish them. So, you know, my, my world is you can accomplish just about anything you want. The only difference is when do you accomplish it? So if you can take a goal and turn it from an if goal to make it a certainty, a when goal, that's really the option. And, and that's why I talked about holidays, because we are all so good at visualizing and anticipating and planning holidays. I mean, it's just kind of a thing that it's kind of the one thing in life that we all learn to visualize. Yeah. And and yet we don't do that with the rest of our lives. And, you know, they, they talk a lot about visionaries. OK, what's a visionary? Well, a visionary is someone who has the ability to see great things. The only difference between someone like Elon Musk or Stephen Jobs or Bill Gates and us is they have the ability to really get in touch with the visionary part of their brain, of their mind. And they, they see things that are possible. I'm saying we all have the ability to use that part of our brain. It works so well. It's probably the most powerful part of your brain. So we need to activate that for something more than just going to the beach and, you know, mm. <laughs> sitting in the sun. 
So with with goal setting, so obviously you specialize in you know short, mid, and long term goal setting, and obviously the visualization. Do the two work hand in hand? And is there one that needs to happen first? Is it the visualization that comes first before setting the goal? Is it you need to set some goals so that you have a better, I guess, better tools to visualize? How do you see that? No, I, I, that's a great question, by the way. I, I actually think you have to see it all first. You know, if, if you think about it, we don't live to work. Okay. We work so that we can live. Well, draw live, get a piece of paper and some crayons and let's draw what live looks like. That's my contention. I think if we spend a lot more time thinking about what we want our lives to look like going forward and drawing that out and documenting it and keeping it in front of us so that the vision part of our brain is constantly engaged, you're you're so powerfully connected and attracted to those visions. It's kind of like you know, when you go to an auto dealer and you want to buy a car, but you don't buy it that night, so they give you a brochure. Well, you take that brochure and that's their way of hooking you into remaining their customer. They want you to feel, man, if I had that pickup truck, I would have that dog. I would have that cool ride into the mountains. You know, I could haul things around. You know, girls would look at me like I'm really cool. <laughs> I would have the jeans and the shirt and the beard. I would have all that stuff if I only had that pickup truck. Well, life is like that. Life is a brochure. And and I think if you build it properly and carry it around with you, you're going to get exactly what you want out of this thing. I love that analogy. And that is so true. Obviously, they give you that and then you're constantly thinking about it. So you're visualizing. We are using that technique, whether we're actually consciously aware of that or we're not. But I wanted to ask you, we're so busy. You know, people listening to this a lot of people are working in the corporate world. They've got jobs, they've got families. And so they've probably never consciously taken the time to visualize things in the past. And there are a number of ways to do this. And I guess meditation is one, affirmations is another one. What do you think? What's your take on it? What's worked for you? And what do you think is a good place where anybody can start? I, I, again, I, I think I think any any one of us has the ability to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I, I get asked this all the time, you know, Hey, Ken, well, you're lucky you're an entrepreneur. Okay. Well, what does that even mean? Here's a, here's a crayon and here's some paper, draw that draw entrepreneur. You can't do it because it's merely a concept. I think, again, I think if you, if you just take the time, go to a quiet place, okay. Turn off all the electronics and say, okay. Um, and you can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your kids. You can do it with anybody. Okay, guys. What do we want our lives to look like? Let's let's physically sit down and draw that out. It, it's it's just so powerful, you know. The, the mind attracts itself to what it sees clearly. So, I think if you allow yourself to 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 make that power work for you, okay. You know, I, I know people are busy, and I, I get all that. But I, my question is, busy doing what? Yeah. Okay. Are are you busy? trying to you know work your way past the next bill you have to pay or are you busy thinking about friday or or this month or are you waiting for life to happen to you or are you happening to life i think there's a big difference in those two things so for me if i'm not anticipating something i get really bored or i get really you know 
I get really depressed if if there's nothing to anticipate. So I'm constantly putting those things out in front of me. And and by the way, you know, getting back to the brochure comment, my first my first real sports car that I bought, I waited seven years for. I mean, I I had the brochure on year one. And I had a reason that I had to wait seven years. It was a financial thing that I was paying off in my company. And I said, man, when I'm done with this thing, I'm going to go get that Porsche. And um, I, I bought that brochure. I got that brochure every year, kept it by my nightstand, looked at it all the time. The, the guy at the dealership thought I was nuts because here's this kid. Oh, yeah, you're going to buy this car in seven years. Yeah, right. See you later. <laughs> and yet. By year four, when I had the fourth brochure in my hand, he looked at me and he's like, you know what? I'm starting to believe you here. I'm starting yeah. to really believe you're going to do this. And then six months in a, six years in a month in, I went and ordered the car and I still have it today. So it, it's one of those things where I just learned early on how amazingly powerful this part of your brain is and nobody uses it for, uh, for other than maybe planning a vacation. And that's just a small, you know, weak, weak uh, snapshot in your life. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned just a few moments ago that anyone can be an entrepreneur. Now, I, I'm not sure I believe that until recently. I think I think it's possible for anyone to start something on the side. I think there's different levels of of entrepreneurship, and I believe everyone has a different tolerance to risk. So, I guess I just want you to elaborate a little bit because you said that any if anyone can be an entrepreneur. Do they have to be a big risk taker? Do they have to put it all? Do they have to put it all on the line, or can they just implement an idea, something that they've got in their mind, just to get it going initially, and then develop the skills on the way? You know, I've been on over a hundred podcasts, and that's the first time I've been asked this question. That is a really good question. So thank you for that. Again, it all depends on what the level of your life is. Like, like, why are you doing it? You have to ask yourself, okay, why do I want to be an entrepreneur? What's in it for me to do that? Okay, well, I want my life to look like this, and I would like to live like that, and I would like to drive this, and I would like to vacation like that, and I would like to um, have my retirement look like this, and I would like to have my pets and my family and my charity and my health and my hobbies. I'd like them to look like this. Well, whatever that picture is, is going to take a certain amount of money, time, effort, you know, skill, persistence, resilience, faith, initiative, courage, drive, all those things. So whatever that is will determine your level of risk. You know, some people are, they're really cool having, you know, a a nice, a nice, decent, reasonable house, you know, a five-year-old pickup truck with a a kayak and a jet ski and a, and a and a surfboard and a paddleboard and and because they like to do that outside stuff so they have a they have a very simple look at what their nirvana could look like what what their nirvana could be the, what i call in the book blue collar cash comfort peace and freedom right so the risk tolerance is directly related to what that picture looks like okay i for me, I knew I had a certain lifestyle in mind that I wanted for myself. So my risk tolerance was a little higher, but that doesn't mean that's for everybody. So when I say everyone can be an entrepreneur, if they have a reason why they all can, you can be an entrepreneur. There's no doubt about it. I don't, I don't have the rights to courage. I don't have the exclusive rights to persistence or resilience or faith. Everybody has those characteristics within them. They just need a reason for them to come out. 
Okay, so if someone's got an idea, let's say they've been sitting on something for a period of time and they're sick of doing what they're doing, hypothetically, they'd love a change, but they've got all these limitations they're putting on themselves. There's all these beliefs, all these things that are just compounding because they don't believe that they can actually do something or go to that that next level and action that idea. And, and some people might have been sitting on this idea for 10 years, 20 years, and it's so easy to fall into this trap because they're comfortable enough where, and, and I can speak from my own experience, comfortable enough where you're earning a decent income. It might be six, six figures plus. You might have some benefits. You've got a few other perks here and there. And so you're just comfortable enough where you're thinking about doing something, but the thought of taking action is too uncomfortable. So have you had any experience coaching people in that sort of paradigm and how do people learn to overcome that sort of objection that they're, they're putting on themselves? Well, you know, you, you can always use the 99 test, okay? If you're 99 years old and you're on your deathbed and you're thinking, man, I, I, wish, I, I really wish I would have done that. I really yeah. wish I would have done this. I've only got another couple hours to live. Why didn't I do that? Why did I worry so much about that? Why did I think this was so important? So there's a lot of reality checks in something like that. You know, there's a very famous guy, Tim McGraw, who wrote a song, Live Like You're Dying, okay? Um, so there's a lot of truth to that. So I, I think I think the litmus test is, are you happy? And, and, you know, a lot of times when people turn to what we call side gigs, which you know, they begin another project and then pretty soon it takes over so much of their life that yeah. they quit their original job. Okay. It just depends on what, what drives you there. You know, if you are making six figures and you are happy and you're safe and secure, God love you, keep doing it. Yeah. Um, but, but if something's moving you to like, God, you know what, I'm feeling unfulfilled. There's more to my life than this. Then I have to tell you, it used to be a huge leap 20, 30 years ago to try to do that. But now with things like the internet and online sh uh, shopping services and marketplaces, you can start doing these things mm -hmm. as a side gig and turn them into a full-time one when and if you're ready to do that. So I say dip your toe in the water a little bit, see what that feels like, see what it's like to be your own boss, schedule your own day, control your own input and output and the financial gain, and then just see how that feels. And if, if that's something that, that calls you, then man, go for it. Yeah, it's interesting because, and I'm glad you said that too. If you're if you're content and you've got the six figure job, or even if it's not six figures, it could be any job, then really that message isn't for you, or this message, this podcast isn't for you. It's more for people that had that feeling or have that feeling within them. That's exactly what I had, and I wanted to do something where I felt like I was connected to it more, and something that I could build. So that was the feeling I had. Although it took me some time to actually take that action with the right coaches around me to actually start that process and, and get going. But you've also spoken about culture as well in the workplace. So now for our managers, senior managers, or people that just overall look after people in the workplace, I wanna get your take on employee expectations, uh, culture in the workplace. How, how has this stuff changed over the years and how should people, especially people hiring employees how should they be looking at it these days so we we and this is just my opinion but i've hired enough people that i think i'm i'm right here okay um so we've gone from an era where 
you can put an ad in the newspaper for employees and the next day there's 10 people in your office waiting to get a job, hoping that you hire them. We've gone from that to now they walk in, maybe there's only three of them and they look at you and say, hey man, what's in it for me to work here? Okay, it's a completely different scenario. So I, I look at it this way. I have to roll with that, okay? But I take advantage of that because, you know, if I can answer that question, what's in it for you to work here? And I can get that individual to say, wow, you know what? I think I can build the life that I want, hit the goals that I want to hit and, and be, you know, on the path progressing towards my world with and through this guy, Ken's company, man, I'm going to give this a shot. And then you build a culture where they actually believe because hopefully it's true Yeah. that you can't like, as an example, I say this all the time. I can't get what I want for myself, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want and need first for yourselves. So it's time for you to be selfish and not selfish in a way that hurts others, but selfish in a way where you think, I'm going to work for me first and Ken second. I'm going to work for my future first. And if that benefits Ken, so be it. If you fill your company with people like that, get out of the way because they're going to drive your company a lot further than you can ever drive it yourself. And I'll give you a little hint for those managers out there. Drop the ego of being the manager. Drop the boss word. Drop the guy or gal who wants to answer everything, fix everything, you know, they go home and say, wow, look what I did today. I solved all these problems. Try to become irrelevant to your company's success through using these techniques of building entrepreneurial employees who love working there and are building their futures for themselves. And your company's going to explode way further than you could ever take it yourself. So building a culture and getting people to buy into the culture that's effectively what 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 we're getting at or what you're saying right so how do you as a manager give someone that understanding that look this is what we stand for this is the culture is it about actually taking a or having a keen understanding of their personal life of their personal goals and outcomes that they want um, on a personal level which often gets overlooked in the corporate world i've been involved with companies where you know no one's even asked me about my family or anything. So that's just not even on the radar because it's it's the corporate world. You just, you, you go there and you do what you got to do. So is that the differentiating thing? Is it that, you know, deep desire to actually want to learn about your employees and who they actually are as people? Yeah, two things. Number one, uh, when you're starting this program, people, there's going to be two kinds of people, people who get involved like easily, readily right now, and other people who sit back and are hesitant to do this, okay? But what I'll tell you is the people that are hesitant, as they watch the other people succeeding and hitting their goals, they start jumping in and joining in the fray. So don't worry about that if that's what happens. But what I will tell you is start really small. You know, go up to somebody and say, hey, what's the next thing on your list that you really want to accomplish? Oh, I've got this visa bill that I can't believe I racked it up to $3,000 and I hate it. I sweat about it every night. I can't sleep. I can't stand this debt. Okay. I'll tell you what, can you save 60 bucks a week? 
Yeah, I can do that. All right. In one year from today, you're going to be debt free. Boom. What's next? Start small with, with multiple employees and get them each doing something. Get them hooked or chasing something and, re and have them recognize that they're in control of the success of, of that or not. And this is what I mean by that. If you have, let's say, 10 people all in a room and they all have a small goal, one, one small goal here, there, whatever it might be, then you can say to them, okay, as a group, as a company, we are doing X amount of dollars per year in revenue. Now, if we get to Y in revenue through all of your efforts, I'm going to share some of Y with you. Yeah. So now they have these personal goals they're trying to hit. At the same time, they see that there is light at the end of the tunnel from a bonus perspective, then not only will they have hit their goal, but then they get this extra thing that you don't have to pay for because you never had it to begin with. That's, that's the secret. And that's why I say, drop that whole boss thing yeah. and just, just get people to understand that if they're all rowing really hard in the same direction, they're going to win for themselves first and your company second. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to ask about how to actually speak to employees as well and whether or not you have a hard and fast rule of applying the same, I guess, rules or restrictions to certain people, whether other people are allowed, you know, wider parameters to work within, depending on their personality. Have you found that over the years that personality traits influence the way you actually you, you manage staff? So whether you need to manage them closer, whether then you can just let them do their own thing. Is that a real experience that you've had in the past? And if so, how have you sort of navigated your way through that? So you will you will see very quickly by the size, the length, and the risk of the individual goals that people choose to tackle. You'll 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 be able to see real quickly what their comfort zone is. Okay, okay. you'll you'll have somebody that says, "All right, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to, you know, save a thousand dollars so I can buy you a lawnmower or whatever it might be," and then you'll have somebody else who says, "Okay, I want to go visit my relatives in Europe." There, there's there's like some different kind of flavors to how big the goal is, how long it takes them, and how expensive it is. And it's not all about money. They could be learning a different language. They could be maybe dropping 20 pounds. Maybe they, they want to become, uh, you know, uh, uh, they want to do a, a marathon or something like that. It could be whatever the goal is, there's disciplines that follow those goals. So you'll be able to see who's disciplined and who's not. And then you'll be able to, you'll, you'll be able to push the disciplined people a little further, a little faster and a little louder and those other people will kind of like come along with that energy. And, and it's, it's very important because when you're sharing all these goals out in public for everyone to see, everyone becomes everybody else's cheerleader. So why wouldn't you want nine other people just as happy about you getting your goal as you are? Because you have to show up every day and, and almost hold yourself accountable to the eventual consummation or completion of that goal because you got nine other people staring at you. Yeah. But they're doing the same thing. So there's, there's just so much power in this. And, and uh, again, watch your company grow. It's, it's going to go crazy for you.
Can I just ask you a question about when you said going from X to Y and whatever that Y was that you would give people, you know, a share of that or a piece of that, is that a team thing or is that an individual thing depending on the type of person or the role that they've played, the amount of input or value, I should say, value is the word I'm looking for, that they've actually created for your business because there's there's this is the, the age-old argument. I've worked in companies where there's been team commissions and then individual commissions or bonus structures and the team ones can cause a lot of resentment amongst people, I've noticed. People start talking about that person doesn't deserve it. Um, yeah, the individual ones can be perceived to be unrealistic as well and unachievable or unattainable. So what experience have you had with structuring up bonuses like that before? Another fantastic question. <laughs> Thank you for that. So when you have everyone that has a different role within your company, they each have an individual reason to push that particular result, right? At the end of the day, though, they all contribute to the overall revenue number through their individual results. So yeah. there, there are times, now mind you, if you have somebody within that organization that you feel is taking advantage of riding on the backs of everybody else, well, then you got the wrong person in the wrong chair. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to make that decision on your own of what you do future wise for that. But what I will say is, you know, for example, I knew that the people in my office probably wouldn't ever go rent a house in Jamaica and have this just amazing time, fully staffed, you know, all the toys that you want. I mean, just a great vacation, something that was way beyond what they would have done for themselves. So that was my why. So I said, okay, we're at X. If we do Y, we're all going to go to this place and have this amazing end of year celebration. And they went crazy for that. Now, you you can do a monetary one as well. You know, if, if we're at X and we hit Y, I'll take this pool of money and divide it equally amongst all of you. And and again, is there is the does the possibility exist that someone won't toe the line? Sure. But I think the very first time you go through that, that will get exposed and that person probably will be worked out of the organization because they would be taking advantage of somebody else. So I, I just love the fact that you have people working on individual goals and team goals at the same time because they they win in multiple ways that way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I want to quote something that I read on your bio form and I want you to elaborate on it for me. It might have been your matchmaker page it was. And it said and you said that there is no degree needed for comfort, peace, and freedom. So can you just expand on that and what that actually means for anyone listening? So when I was originally writing the book, one of the first things that happened, visualize, one of the first things that came to my mind was, what should we be chasing in life? Like, what should we really be anticipating? You know, my daughter got really sick uh, when she was 12, and, and it was pretty scary for five years. And I had a lot of time to think about what was important in life. So for me, I thought to myself, well, everyone has their own level of what they think success is, but they all, they all feel or treat or paint success the same way. And that is, they have this feeling of being very comfortable. They feel at peace with the world and they have a certain amount of freedom based on their level of success that they wanted to achieve. And those three words, Simon, they just wouldn't go away. 
they just kept coming back. And I, I, I couldn't add to them. I couldn't subtract from them. It was just like something that all worked together. So in my mind, your perfect nirvana is what you think your level of comfort, peace, and comfort, peace, and freedom might be. If your life could look like that, okay, now that would be cool. If I could live like that, Simon, that would be really cool. There it is. You've just drawn the picture of what it is. So, you know, comfort, peace, and freedom is something that I think anyone can achieve at any level. You know, we're not all going to chase mega yachts, 15 cars, and you know, yeah. maybe being a, a career in the music industry or something. It's great if you can do that. But reality is that we all have something that would make us feel really awesome, this this particular picture. And I, I just think it's it's a good idea to to make that really clear and then figure out how to mm. get there. Yeah. Someone asked me the other day, Ken, what success meant to me. And this is a such a broad question because it's different for everyone. And had you asked me a number of years ago, I would have I would have associated success with financial success. Right. And I still do. I still do for sure. But I broke it down to three different areas for me. The first one was having control of my decisions. So making sure that I was able to make decisions because I wanted to make those decisions, not based on what someone else was telling me to do over here or being influenced by another party. The second one was like having a lifestyle or building a lifestyle intentionally, like you spoke about before. So putting that energy into actually planning and executing the life that I want. So allocating the time to do the things that I actually want to be doing. And then the third one for me was having purpose and linking that purpose with the lifestyle and the control. So whatever I was doing, I was contributing and then feeling good about what I was doing. And in doing that, obviously, with the lifestyle, um, generating wealth, you know, having financial freedom, so to speak. So that was my definition of success. I want to ask you the same thing. So what is, for you, your definition of success? Well, first off, in my mind, it, it it's achieving that nirvana. It's, it's, it's achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. And that means different things to everybody else. But let me just take one of those so, so that you understand. So if, if I've set my life up in a comfortable way where I'm financially set and um, I have most of the things that I want to create really awesome memories, because to me, you know, a, a race car isn't a thing that you should just love on. It, it, it's something that would create an awesome memory of you racing around the track with your buddies or whatever you were doing. Um, the, the same thing goes with where you live. You create awesome memories for your family uh, at, at holidays and that type of thing and, and raising kids and grandkids and all that. So, you know, there's comfort, there's peace, and then there's freedom. But to me, okay, so now I've achieved a certain amount of success and I'm pretty good with where I'm at. The freedom to me is to be spontaneous, to do spontaneous things. You said earlier in the in the in the podcast, we're all so busy. True. Um, we wish we weren't that busy because if we weren't, we could we could choose to be spontaneous. And for me, spontaneous means anytime I want. Any hour of the day, any day of the week, I'm going to go take my dogs and take them for a walk in the park, mm -hmm. okay? Or I'm going to go sit on my boat, all right, and, and just listen to music. Or I'm going to jump in that car and just take a nice drive. Or I'm going to go with five or six people from the office, and we're going to go to, 
I don't know if you have a Ronald McDonald houses or where you're at, but we do. It's, yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's 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 an organization where you can go in there and create a meal for the family of some young child who's across the street in the hospital suffering from some terrible disease. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to make the spontaneous choice of going to the grocery store and spending sixty dollars taking that stuff with people from my office and go over to that charity, to that Ronald McDonald house and have a blast creating a meal for someone that's never going to know I did it. Okay. Because you make the meals, you put them in the refrigerator and you go, you don't sit there and eat with them. They come down later and do that. So the freedom to be able to make those choices, the freedom to be able to be spontaneous is something that most of us, we don't even think about spontaneity. It's like, yeah. Life's happening to me, man. I'm not happening to my own life. So yeah, that would be my long-winded version of what success means to me. It, it, it's funny. I love that term spon- being spontaneous and, and remaining curious as well to try new experiences. I think I watch my kids and they're so curious. You, you watch them experiment with things and if they want to do something, they'll just do it. You know, they don't question it. They just go out there and, and, and they do it. But it's funny about falling into that routine that you said before and just this level of complacency where we're doing the same thing, we're living the same life every day and we forget about our loved ones sometimes. I mean, someone had to point this out to me not that long ago and I've been married for 12 years this year. And so I've started doing spontaneous date nights now or I might hire a a hotel room in the city and you know, I might hire it for two nights. And the last time we did it, we did it for two nights. And the first night was just me and my wife. And then the second night, I got the kids in there with me as well with us. So I think it's just little things like that. And I could tell straight away what that actually did for my wife and for our relationship and for the kids too, for the whole family dynamic. It was just a beautiful energy. It was a, it was just a, a grateful experience because they didn't expect it. And, you know, had I not actually someone pointed that out to me, I probably wouldn't have done it. Well, I definitely wouldn't have done it. So I'm, I'm yeah, glad well, that. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Simon. When, when my daughter got married in my backyard two weeks ago, we spent a year planning it and we we had such a great time. It was it was epic. It was just so cool. We, we had every detail covered. We spent a lot of time planning it. So it turned out really great. The weather was great. We were very blessed and so grateful that we had great weather in Ohio in September. But I remember saying during the toast to my daughter and her new husband, Pete, I said, there are things that brought you together today. Okay. Whether it's curiosity, whether it's laughter, whether it's, you know, um, joking around, whether it's going out with each other, maybe it's conversations or it's a love of music or food or whatever it might be. Those things are the things that brought you together. Those things are the things that will remain, will help you to remain together. So you're going to get careers and you're going to have kids and you're going to have houses and bills and all that. Those are awesome things, but don't let them distract from the core of who you are. And that's what you're talking about right now. You're talking about getting back to what got you involved with each other in the first place. And I think that's just a wonderful way to live. Yeah. Even last night, I had a speaking engagement last night and I got home and the kids were sleeping and it would have been about 10 p.m. at my time here. And just for about 30 minutes, we were just talking in bed. And, you know, she was asking me about, you know, this, the podcasting and the speaking. And it was just, 
it was a good conversation to have. And I even think that can sometimes be overlooked as well, just those conversations, especially when you have kids, because, you know, as we know, kids are very demanding and they yeah. consume a lot of your time. And if you let it, time will just get away from you. And so it's it's just critical for me. I've just found that it's it's done wonders to find that time and to make sure that, like you said, when you were when you were doing the toast for your daughter, it's just remembering why you guys came together in the first place. So I'm glad you highlighted that as well. Yeah, you know, what you don't want to do, and I have friends that have gone through this, and some were good results and some weren't so good results, but you don't want your kids to, to leave on their first day of college and then you look at each other and say, hi, hi, my name's Ken, what's yours? You know what I mean? So you, you got to be very careful that this relationship just continues all yeah. the way through. And, um, and again, you remember those things that got you together in the first place. Yeah. I want to change gears a little bit here. And there's a couple more questions I want to run past you. But the first one is in regards to multiple streams of income. That's a big thing these days. It's all over the internet about, you know, having multiple streams of income, diversity, things like that. If you're in a position where you've worked predominantly your, your wage is your income, hypothetically, you might have one or two investment properties and you're thinking about expanding and, and generating another form of income, should you be focused on building that income to a certain amount before you then try and dabble in something else? Because I think, and, and I'm guilty of this, what's happened to me in the past is I've got a little about that, that shiny object syndrome where, oh, this looks good, I'm gonna try that. Oh, this looks good, I'm gonna try that, which is important for my development, my trial and error sort of perspective to see what I like and what I don't like. But can we make a mistake or can people make the mistake of trying to get involved in too many things at once? Yeah, I, I think you can. You know, I, I as I told you before, my wheelhouse is construction. So all of the ancillary companies I've been involved with were construction oriented. Yeah. Because I had kind of a working knowledge of what it takes to make those things happen. What I will tell you is until you can become irrelevant to the first income stream okay. where it happens with or without you, don't move on to the next one. Because, you know, I have friends that have gotten involved in too much risk, too much investment. Things started going very well, but then they 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 leveled off and they were already leveraged in another thing. Yeah. And um, that can make for a really bad day and a lot of stress. So I look at it this way. You know, if if you're going to venture off into something else, make sure that it is working without your input before you try to do something else. Make sure that it's you're irrelevant to the process. You're just kind of watching it over and watching it happen. And also put somebody in charge of that revenue stream that's going to earn money by its successes or lose money by its failures. Okay, so that point. you have someone with skin in the game. Yeah. Before you try to get into something else. That I, I've made that a hard and fast rule. I heard this a very long time ago, and I think it's still true today. It's never the idea that you invest in, it's the person, the person who's doing the idea. Okay. Because you can have the best idea in the world. And if you got the wrong person running it, ugh, it's gonna it could be problematic for you. Okay. Yeah. So it's not so much the thing as it is the person that's actually in control. Absolutely. Yeah. These days, you, you spend a lot of time coaching, uh, mentoring. Is it predominantly with young people? Is it with business people? Is it with people just starting out? 
in their own business? How does that look like for you? It's it's two people. It's it's uh, it's it's younger people that are wondering what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Okay, that's that's number one. And the other one is it's somebody who is already in business and wants to then either transition back to something they're more passionate about, or they want to uh, open their own company in that business they were in. Uh, I just had some of the other day who they 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 had been working for 10 years for a company and they really weren't into this blue collar job. And then they realized it wasn't the job that they were not into. It was the culture and the, you know, the business that they were that, you know, the business that they were in Um, the task and the job was fine, but the company wasn't. Yeah. So they, they trans, you know, they, they transitioned into running their own company with that same business and they love it. And the reason is, is because they get to control, as you said earlier, their input, their output, the quality of that output, they get to control now the financial gain, their time, their scheduling, their day, all that stuff. And they also get the stand back moment, which is where you stand back at the end of the day and say, wow, I did that. I did that all on my own or with the help of my people we created something beautiful that will stand the test of time. You know, that's something you don't get in, in the 15th floor in some cubicle of an office building. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just, just kind of keep that in mind as you progress forward. Yeah. One of the hardest things that I remember going through was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And this is going through high school. I had no idea, no idea at all. I went to university because I just thought that was the right thing to do. And my, my parents were pushing me pretty hard to, to do that. So as a young person who might be listening to this, who feels a bit lost, perhaps they're going through school now, perhaps they've already started working, but they feel lost because they've just got a job for the sake of getting a job. But how do you start that process of figuring it out or figuring out what it is that you actually want to do with yourself? Well, I would say two things, look forward and look backward at the same time. So look back into, let's say you're 18 years old, look back into your first 18 years and, and what were you good at? I mean, were you always helping somebody fix something else or were you always helping somebody build something or were you always helping somebody, you know, create something new or, I mean, l- look back at, because you're going to learn what kind of learner you are. Are you a tactile learner? Are you the one who listens? Are you one who has to do something? You have to see it or you have to, I mean, there's different ways to learn. And that's why I think that's important to kind of look at what you've enjoyed thus far in your lifetime. Okay. Like yeah. you, you might say, well, I was never really good at sports, but I'll tell you what, I could build the fastest go-kart out of anybody. Well, okay. There might be something to that then. Right. So think about that first. The other thing is this, in the world today, because so many people aren't willing to work with their hands anymore, there's a lot of demand for that. So you can now job shop yourself six ways from Sunday. I mean, you could literally try something for a few months, then try something else, then try, because everyone's looking for everybody to work. So I've never seen an environment more conducive to just trying stuff out and see if anything, you know, really trips the trigger. So I, I know that sounds crazy, but a lot of people are doing it. And I think take take a year off and try to do some of these things and see if anything really pops out at you. 
you can always go back to mm. university. You can always go back to college. But um, if you think that's not for you, there's a reason you think that. Explore that. Look backwards and forwards at the same time and see what pops up. Yeah, I love it. Good answer. I'd love for you to talk about the book. So Blue Collar Cash and your inspiration to write it. Obviously, you came up with this concept and you want to do put something on paper for other people to obviously read and benefit from. So what was your inspiration, Ken? And if people read the book, what can they expect to get out of it? Well, first off, my my whole inspiration was, again, you know, thinking about what people should be chasing. I mean, I, I'd been chasing a lot of different things, and 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 most of the time those were good things. I mean, sometimes you, you, you go down an investment path and it doesn't work out. But th- the point of it is, I wanted people to understand that whoever they are, they are in control of their of their life. They they and you and only you know knows what you'd be passionate about, what you how you'd like to live, you know how you'd like to be perceived by others. How would you like to spend your time in society? Um, the things that you are really good at, the things you're not really good at, the things you like, the things you don't. You and only you knows those things. So exercise that. And understand that you're in control. And oh, by the way, just so you know, the whole rumor about college is the only way to success is not true now. It's never been true and it never will be. There are 167 million people in the United States alone considered full employment. And today still, 77 million of those people work with their hands. So those jobs are still alive and well, and we need them. Yeah. And 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 again. Always be mindful of supply and demand because where supply is low and demand is high, that's where the money goes. Blue collar jobs fall into that category right now. So, but no matter what, none of that matters, Simon, if you don't know where you're going and why yeah. you're doing it to begin with. Yeah. So be cognizant of that. And and uh, that's why I wrote the book. It became a bestseller last fall. I was really psyched about that. And you know, the two or different, two or three different class of readers that reads it, they seem to be getting a lot out of it. So I'm really thankful for that. I want to ask you another question just about, you spoke about, you know, demand and supply. And obviously when demand is high, there's opportunities, financial opportunities as well to make money and to do well. So have you seen people in the past make the mistake of just chasing that and making that their primary objective just to make money without any sort of emotional attachment or is that okay like is that a good thing have you seen that work before or, do, or does there need to be some sort of intrinsic attachment to to what it is you're doing so that you can sort of stick at it long enough and become really really good at it yeah well there's there there's there's two there's two answers to that first off i know people that have worked really hard just chasing money and now they're rich and they're miserable yeah. Okay. They've yeah. burned through relationships. They've burned through their their own bodies. I mean, they they've just gone crazy trying to do it. And 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 it, you know, it was while they they hit their goal, it eh, wasn't really a good thing for them. And I think the reason was is because they never put the balance into their life. Okay. You know, there's work, there's health, there's living, there's family, there's faith, there's all these different things that you need to constantly be filling equally um, in order to live a balanced life. And so you know, all work and no play makes Jack or Jill dull people, right? As you've heard them say that. So 
that that's why I think you got to be careful with that. Now, I, I will say this: if you're chasing money for the right reasons, okay, you, you want to build amazing moments for your family, amazing memories. You want to build a, a healthy environment for them to live and thrive in. Those are all good things. You want to share some of this money with other people. That's a really good reason to make a lot of money is to help share it with others. So I think your reasons have to be sound before you do it. Um, but yeah, you can make a mistake and, and go just all in and not know why you're doing it and then um, be pretty sorry for it at the end of that game. Yeah, cool. Last question for you, Ken, before we wrap up. This is all about overcoming limitations and challenging our own beliefs. This is why I started this podcast was to lean into people like yourself and not only for listeners, but even for myself too, because I get a lot out of it from a selfish perspective. So <laughs> it, it's awesome for me to be having these conversations. But what does it mean for you to be limitless? Again, this is a little bit like success. There might be different interpretations to this term. What does it mean to you? I think to be limitless to me is to try a lot of things I've never done before. You know, um, I, I'm I'm going to jump out of an airplane next year, okay, with a with a parachute on. I'm going to um, I, I took my boat on a three day um, <laughs> ride across all of the Great Lakes. You know, to do things that I have never done before. Um, to speak and I mean, I enjoy speaking. I've given. 2000 sales meetings in my career, but to speak in front of total strangers and talk about my book and talk about the new course that I've designed and how it helps people change their lives, you know, to, to have that one light bulb go off to one person in the audience who goes, my man, I can use that. I love that. I'm going to go change my life with that. Those are things that people don't do. And, and to, to, to be able to be limitless, which I love that word, is to just be able to do and experience things. You got to remember, Simon, you, we may have 90 years on this planet if we're lucky, right? You, you got to live every one of them in a way that you don't regret. And, and um, for me, just trying new things, racing my car or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's living life in, in my world. It's funny that the term regret as well, because there's a book called The Power of Regret. I'm not sure if you've heard of it by an author called Daniel Pink. I have heard of it, yes. Yeah, and really, to paraphrase it, and I've mentioned this before in one of my other podcasts, but he states that from a study, and this isn't word for word, but to generalize, it's the regret later on down in life through your inaction when you wanted to do something different outweighs the discomfort of actually putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation in the present. So... That was something that I actually read somewhere. I might have even listened to one of his podcasts and the penny sort of dropped for me then. And when he said that, I started thinking about the analogy that you said as well about, you know, when it comes to the end, when I'm right at the end, whether that's 80, 85, 90, 95 years old, how am I going to feel when I'm on my deathbed? Have I taken that action and led or lived the best life that I wanted to live or have I left stuff on the table? And so... I guess it's a pretty easy decision then because I've stacked it up like that, it made it a lot easier for me to actually pivot and change and actually pursue things that I haven't done before. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. No, absolutely. Any Anytime. You know, um, 
I, I always talk about this and I, I want to make sure that I that I, I get this part in. I didn't write this book to make money. Okay. My life was really good before I ever got this done. And, and in fact, I didn't think the book would go 10 feet, much less the 10 miles that it's gone. So I'm very grateful and I'm very blessed with that. But I wanted to take it a step further because so many times people read books or they listen to books and they put them up on the shelf like trophies and, and they forget what they even heard or, mm. or read three months later. So I created this course that it takes eight weeks to do it one hour per week. It's really engaging. It's all online. Um, it requires you to, to think about what you want your future to look like, but it will absolutely 100% change the way you see your life and, and the rest of your life. And, and that's, that was the goal for me. I, I didn't want my book to become a trophy. I wanted to be an agent for change. So, you know, there are courses out there, Simon, for $200, $500, $1,000. No, I charge $99 for this course. Plus you get a free book with it. That's worth $25. But if you do that, I also donate one to someone of your choice, a friend, a neighbor, a son, a daughter, grandson, grand, I mean, aunt or uncle, nephew, niece, whoever, someone that might need this message. So if you help yourself, you're going to help somebody else. And I, I tend to put all my money into charities anyway. So I just hope people would get involved in, 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 and maybe I can make a difference in somebody's life and in someone else's life at the same time of their choosing. So. Yeah. Cool. How do people contact you, Ken, if they want to reach out to you? Well, you can go to KenRusk.com and you can see all of what we're up to there. You can look at the course and the book and all that while you're there. I'm also on all the socials. I'm on, it's, it's called Ken Rusk Official and that's on, you know, TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook and all those other things. So you can see what we're up to there as well. Awesome. Thanks again for your time, Ken. I really appreciate it. And yeah, maybe we can do this again as well. We'll maybe break down one or two topics and actually just go deeper into it and create a you whole. Know, I, I, I would, I would love to. I, I think there's a whole nother topic on building culture in companies that I think is really important. Yeah. Um, that we can get deeper into and 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 creating a cool workplace, one that attracts people and keeps people because it's expensive to hire people. We know that. So I, I'd be honored to come back, and I just thank you for having me today. No, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.